a mic check. Mic check one, two. Welcome to episode two of season two of Mental Dive, the podcast, the psychology of coaching, where we talk anything and everything, sports psychology and mental performance. I'm your host, Taylor Staden, and my job is to help athletes, parents, and coaches learn how they can optimize the mental game within sport. And some common areas I work in include increasing confidence, becoming more mentally tough, as well as improving consistency. If these kind of areas sound like something that maybe you'd want to improve on, or maybe you know someone who may be interested, please do connect them with me. I can best reached at taylorstaden one at gmail.com. I will include that in the description of the podcast. taylorstaden one at gmail.com. Wow, what a debut last week with Dr. Jean Cote. If you haven't listened to last week's episode with Dr. Jean Cote, where we discussed the coach-parent dynamic and how you can manage that as a coach, I highly recommend you do. I, because I think I think there was quite a few key takeaways from the episode. However, I think above all, it was just the idea that there doesn't have to be conflict between the parents and the coach. And it's not so much about trying to point fingers about who's more in the blame, but it's more about how can they work together to help come to that common goal of doing what's best for the kids, doing what's best for those youth athletes and how they can give them the best experience possible with youth sport. So then that way, you know, it helps promote long lasting behaviors and fond memories. Cause you know, you think of, you think of sport when you're a kid and you don't want to, you don't want to grow up and look back and have to reflect on all the, you know, quote unquote bad times when, you know, well, they are inevitable. Nothing's perfect, but you also want to have a strong remembrance of all the good times, you know, all the friends you made, all, you know, maybe just the goals you scored, whatever it may be. And just the pure enjoyment, the excitement you got when you went to the field or the rink or the pool or whatever it may be. And the coaches and the parents play a role in helping make this happen. So let's learn how to work together instead of having to butt heads and be in opposition, ideally. And now we talk about these experiences and how we want to optimize them and help youth have the best possible memories of playing their sport. And unfortunately, sometimes some of the worst memories you have in sport doesn't even happen during the sport in itself. It happens during the car ride home. And don't get me wrong here. I am not trying to label parents as doing this, you know, with bad intention. However, there is not enough discussion around how parents can optimize the car ride home. Not only to help promote uh, greater memories and better experiences for the youth athletes, but also to help use this time period optimally so then that way the youth athletes can grow and they can learn from their experiences, whether good or bad. Because when we reflect, you don't have to reflect on just good or just you know the not so good. It's actually important to reflect on both. Because when we reflect on what went well, we can learn how to, you know, we can reflect and think about how we can do that more consistently. And then obviously when we reflect on what didn't go so well, we can learn how to make adjustments. And so we get that less consistently. But this is what I've done is I've brought on 
Dr. Catherine Tamanen on today's podcast to discuss her research around this exact phenomenon, the car ride home. So Dr. Tamanen is a associate professor at the University of Toronto, and her research in sports psychology focuses on two main areas, and this is coming directly from her faculty profile. One, stress coping and emotion sport, and as well, young athletes' experiences in sport. And like I mentioned, she's actually done some exact research on the car ride home. And our discussion today largely revolves around how parents and you know maybe the parent coaches can learn how to optimize the car ride home. But then we also get into a good discussion around how you can learn how to manage the emotions of your youth athletes post-game. You know, I'm sure we've all been there, right? You get back to the car and you're really upset after your sport. Or maybe as a parent, you see your kids come back to the car and they're really upset. Maybe it's something that happened during the game. Maybe it's something the coach said, whatever it may be. So she teaches us how we can manage that situation optimally. And so, so while this episode may feel very directed towards parents, which it is, truthfully, this is also very informative for the coaches because the coaches can now have these discussions with the parents about how they can optimize the car ride home, which should help you drive results on your team, as well as help increase the well-being of your players. You know, assuming the parents buy in and they start to take on these practices. But again, I'm a large believer that parents typically want what's best for their kids and so hopefully they will at least give it a try and see if it works for them so without further ado let's bring on dr Taminen. let's get into episode two of season two of mental dive the podcast the psychology of coaching dr Taminen, how are you doing today i'm good thank you good i'm glad to hear and so, Dr. Tamman, one way I like to always start the podcast is I'd really appreciate it if you could tell us a bit about yourself and, you know, what exactly is your why? Like, what makes you passionate about what you do? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I probably have lots of reasons why and things that have kind of pulled me towards the areas that I study. So I, I really became interested in sports psychology because I really had a passion for wanting to help people um, and help athletes to feel better about their performance and to perform well and to be doing so in a positive environment. Um, In terms of the research that I've done in youth sport, um, I think that young athletes can derive so many positive benefits from participation in sport, but there are also a lot of downsides um, and negative experiences that young athletes can have. And so I think part of my why is wanting to find ways that we can improve that environment so that it does have, you know, positive impacts on all athletes and that we're not just catering to a select few and that we can minimize the harms that can be caused in youth sport. So I remember one time early in my graduate school when I was delivering a session, like a a sports psychology information kind of class for some young athletes. And, um, the topic we were talking about was, you know, what are the things you like and don't like about your sport and your parents involved in sport? And um, as I was walking around, the students were filling out worksheets. 
one of the students had written all of these things that they like in one column of the page. And then on the other side, the other column, the only thing that he'd written on the things I don't like was the car ride home. That was the only thing that he wrote there. And I said, oh, like, that's it's pretty hard, huh? And he looked up at me and he just had this really heavy sigh and went, yeah. And it was just heartbreaking to see this young athlete, probably about 12 years old. You could tell there was so much in there that was going on for him during those car rides home. And so I think um, I had always been interested in looking at youth sport and parental influence in youth sport. But that for me was really a key moment in, you know, wanting to try to conduct research in this area to try to improve those experiences so that we don't have so many of those athletes who are really carrying that that heavy burden of those experiences with them. It's difficult to think about just because, you know, let's say an athlete has a poor game on the ice. You know, they might be hearing uh, negativity from their coaches or they might be hearing negativity from maybe the, even the opposition giving it to them or their teammates. And then they have to go into the, the car and hear it all the way home. And it just seems as if you can never get away from the rink. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I think in some of the early research that we did on this topic, when we interviewed parents and athletes about what the car ride home is like for them, like what's going mm-hmm. on about what's it like. And th- that was some of the things that we heard was that for some athletes, they enjoyed the car ride home. Like they enjoyed that period of time when they could talk to their parents and debrief. And they really were peppering their parents for questions about how I did mm-hmm. think I can do differently. But other athletes talked about just enduring the car ride home and that, you know, they're dreading getting into the car and they're just, you know, getting through it until they can get home and get away from it. So mm-hmm. certainly that was something that we heard echoed in the, the interviews that we were doing with athletes for that study. Yeah, absolutely. And, and like you said, the car ride home doesn't have to be this, this negative space. There's a lot of athletes and parents who really enjoy the, the constructivity and the opportunities present within the car ride home. Could you tell us a bit about some of these opportunities that are present during this time? Yeah, it's a it's an interesting window of, of opportunity, right? Where mm-hmm. it's this private setting for the most part. You know, there's carpooling that goes on and other parents might be in the car some days or others, but siblings are around. So um, regardless, it's a, it's a really interesting period of time, this window of opportunity where parents and athletes can engage in conversations. And sometimes, um, you know, parents would tell us that athletes will share things with them there that they would never share anywhere else with other people around. And so it can be this opportunity for developing, you know, a deeper relationship or deeper intimacy with your your child and a a deeper sense of connection and a sense of, uh, you know, an opportunity to share that empathy with your child about what they're going through. so I think that there are some, some opportunities for developing a stronger relationship by demonstrating that empathy and just getting curious about what they're going through and what's it like from their perspective. There's also an opportunity to provide feedback. And, and for young athletes, many of them are interested in knowing how they can perform better. They want to improve their skills and, and do better. So um, there are opportunities for parents to provide that feedback. Um, but I think sometimes that can almost be used as a justification for being overly critical. So in some cases, parents might say, well, my child wants that feedback. They want that information. And so it's almost like a justification or a rationale for delivering that feedback, that performance feedback in a really critical manner. So I think sometimes it's not necessarily the information that's doing harm. It's the way in which it's being delivered. 
And so um, that could be an opportunity, but that could also be, uh, you know, something detrimental for the athlete as well. So it's a, uh, it's kind of a fine line. Yeah, absolutely. And I feel like parents generally want what's best for their kids and they want to help them succeed. And we all obviously know the value of tools like self-reflection um, and learning from experiences through that. But I feel like there has to be some sort of autonomy in that space for the athlete to decide if they want to talk about it after. Right. So how would you approach it? If let's say, how would you approach supporting athlete autonomy when it comes to the car at home? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a great question and a great point. So, um, we, we recently completed a study, uh, where we asked parents and athletes to actually film their car ride homes. We gave them a really? GoPro and installed it in their wow. car. Um, about, you know, film your car ride to and from games and practices, and we'll have a look and see what's going on. So of course there's all kinds of social desirability there. We know mm-hmm. we're not going to get the parents in this study who are, you know, quite negative or, you know, yelling at their athletes all the time. Although we did see some instances of some fairly uh, negative criticism from parents. Um, but so we know there's social desirability going on in the yeah. video that we did collect. However, we were just interested in seeing, you know, for these uh, athletes and their parents who might be, you know, just kind of, you know, regular sport competitors and participants, what is going on in that conversation and in that period of time? So uh, when it comes to the questions that parents ask, and also just the comments that they make, we found that parents actually interjected a lot of the time before letting athletes respond to whatever they had said. Mm -hmm. So parents might say something like, oh, you know, this went really well for you today. And they actually interjected before they let the athlete respond uh, for a good proportion of the time. Um, After making a statement of criticism towards the athlete, they only interjected about 25% of the time. So after saying something positive, parents would kind of like keep talking and not maybe let that sink in. But after criticism, they gave the athlete more space to respond to that. So that is something that I think we can investigate further in terms of, you know, allowing athletes more space and time to respond to those comments from parents. But also when we look at the um, types of questions that parents were asking, Uh, The majority of the types of questions that were asked were closed questions. So these are questions that invite kind of like a yes or no or a factual answer. Um, And also they were more descriptive questions. So these would be like, you know, what did you do in practice today? So it's a very kind of descriptive, oh, we ran these drills or we, you know, did this in our practice. So sort of a a descriptive and closed question was most frequently um, seen from the parents. On the other hand, there were fewer instances of more open and reflective questions. And so reflective questions are ones that do just that and invite the athlete to reflect on, you know, what do you make of that? Or, you know, what was your sense of what was going on there today? So it it kind of allows the athlete to reflect on their experiences and to try to, you know, pull their thoughts together and articulate that. And we just saw fewer instances of parents asking those kinds of questions. Um, So I think this uh, could suggest that there's an opportunity here for parents to maybe think about the kinds of questions they're asking and also to allow more time for their child to respond and to be able to sort of 
scaffold those conversations in a way that invites a response from athletes in a non-threatening manner. So athletes not feeling like they have to defend themselves against what their parent has just said, but just trying to explore what that experience is like for their athlete. Um, but I will say that we didn't, you know, we didn't look at whether or not these types of questions were associated with better or worse outcomes for athletes. So we can't make any inferences to say that this type of question is necessarily better than that type of question. But we do know that, um, you know, these kinds of questions can help develop self-reflection and self-awareness. And so, you know, we think there could be an opportunity here for parents to help their athlete develop that capacity for self-reflection by asking these types of questions and allowing more space in that conversation for them to respond. Mm -hmm. Very, very interesting. And I was just jotting down some ideas I had as you were explaining and you mentioned how the parents tend to interject sooner when giving positive feedback opposed to the negative feedback. Would you say that that would give less opportunity for the children to internalize the positive feedback, but make them really internalize the negative feedback? I can't say for sure based on our data. I guess that's the right. thing I'll start with is we don't know based on the data that we have what the consequence of these interactions is for the athlete. However, we also saw that the athletes made fewer co uh, comments about their own performance that were positive compared to negative. So right. athletes were actually more likely to be critical of their own performance and less likely to make positive statements about their own performance. So I think there is some initial evidence that suggests that this is a really important area for future research, as you said, mm -hmm. to look at whether or not athletes who you know, have parents who deliver high levels of criticism and praise, maybe those athletes are more likely to internalize those critical messages. Um, but we can't say for sure based on our data. Um, but we are suggesting that perhaps this also highlights the importance of parental praise, because if athletes aren't as likely to praise their own performance, that maybe makes parental praise all the more important for you know really pointing out what the athletes doing well you know perhaps the athletes are just more likely to kind of always reflect on what's going wrong and so maybe it's important then in that space where athletes are tending to be more critical maybe it's important then for parents to make sure that they're pointing out the positives and like you mentioned allowing athletes time to reflect on that and to internalize that yeah absolutely and, and thank you for the for the explanation yeah. and Building off of that as well, I think there's kind of like, there's listening and then there's waiting to speak. As you were explaining it, it, it appeared to me as if uh, active listening techniques would be really helpful for parents in these situations. Would you mind speaking a bit to that? Yeah, absolutely. I think active listening is certainly effective in all kinds of interpersonal interactions, mm -hmm. especially in sport. And it, it offers parents an opportunity to really hear what is going on from their child's perspective. Active listening typically involves waiting to hear a person yeah. finish their sentences, not interjecting before they uh, end. It can often involve paraphrasing back to them what they mm -hmm. have said to clarify that you've heard them correctly. So to say at the end of a sentence, if an athlete says, yeah, I don't really think that I was you know, really finishing my checks in the corner during that game a parent instead of saying, yeah, it really didn't look like it. Instead, a parent could say something like, oh, so it didn't really feel like you were finishing those checks. 
and literally just paraphrasing back to the athlete and allow them mm -hmm. an opportunity to continue elaborating on it or saying, Oh, that's interesting. What, uh, what makes you feel that way? Or, you know, just exploring a little bit more about how the athlete arrived at that sense of their performance or to explore a little bit more. So paraphrasing back, you know, using more questioning types of inflection, like thinking about putting a question mark at the end of your sentence mm -hmm. can be really helpful. And it allows, again, allows the other person more space to elaborate and make sense of their experiences and enhance that self-reflection. Yeah, absolutely. And active listening is something that I've been trying to consciously trying to get better of uh, at myself and in my consulting work with athletes, just because I feel like active listening allows you to get a lot closer to the root of maybe the problem or an area of, of concern, opposed to if you just ask um, very close questions and you're trying to solve the answer to something, you don't really know what, what the problem is. Yeah. 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 And I think this is also really interesting when we then start to bring in like parents own knowledge about the sport and yes you know if are they trying to you know quiz their athlete about what the right answer is or are they trying to help the athlete develop self-reflection about their own skill development and I think that there is uh, certainly some opportunity for that here as well mm -hmm, for sure and so Dr. Tamman you mentioned that a lot of your research is in uh, athlete coping give a scenario here and let's say an athlete's coming back from a game to the car and they're really, really worked up. They may perhaps didn't have a good game. Uh, they heard some comments from the coach that maybe weren't so constructive. How could a parent help support the athlete during that time? Mm -hmm. Yeah, this is a really great question because I think it comes up all the time. And from some of the research that we've done, some of the first things that parents and athletes have told us is take time to breathe and to collect yourself as a parent and also to allow your child to take some time as well. So just, you know, allowing things to kind of simmer a little bit, just let it mellow out, just to take some time to breathe. And I think for parents to check in with themselves and just check in and go, holy, I'm worked up about this. Like, oh my God, child is suffering and in pain and, you know, hurting from this experience and that's affecting me. So first I think checking in internally to see how is this affecting me? And is there anything I need to do to, you know, cool that down or bring that down a little bit, or just to contain that? Um, because as a parent, you know, we're regulating our child's emotions. And part of the way that that happens is through our capacity to regulate our own emotions and to hold the child's emotions in that space. Um, so once we've checked in with ourselves and what's going on for ourselves and our own emotional regulation, um, I think trying to acknowledge and validate the athlete's emotions and feelings and not dismiss or try to help the athlete move past or suppress those negative emotions right away. I think sometimes we can try to do that and be like, oh, it wasn't that bad or, oh, no, you played really well. I mean, that is a well-intentioned statement, but that can also invalidate or suppress the legitimacy of the athlete mm -hmm. really bad about themselves in that moment. So I think that idea of just connecting with the athlete and trying to be in tune with where they're at right now and be like, oh, my goodness, this feels really hard or that sounds awful. Tell me more about what the coach said to you. How did that make you feel? You know, just kind of checking in and, and saying these kinds of things that will help to validate the reality of the athlete's experience. 
then working with them to, you know, kind of move past that or resolve it. But um, if you try to move too quickly, I think we end up minimizing or invalidating the reality of that experience. And it feels like we haven't really gotten out what we needed to. And it, it feels like we're not being heard by our parents, the people who should be there for us, to be there mm -hmm. to listen to us. So um, that would be, I think, how I would think of the general approach to managing those really negative emotions is check in with yourself first and see if there's anything you need to do to kind of calm yourself as the, as the adult in the situation. And then validating the athlete's experience, just, you know, having them express what's, what's hard about this for you. Why is, why is this so painful? Let's talk about that. I want to listen to you. So I think those would be the main ways that I would go about that conversation. Yeah. I, I love that. And I think you made an excellent point there about, you know, the reality of the situation, because it's not about the parents' perception of the reality. It's about, it's about the athletes. Like yeah. what's that experience like for them? Like, like, what are they feeling? Like, what was it like for them when maybe a certain thing happened during hockey, if that's the sport? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Because stressors are subjective appraisals of events mm -hmm. that happened to us. So what might be stressful for an athlete may not from the outside, from the parent's perspective, seem like that stressful you know, in the grand scheme of things. And parents play an important role in contextualizing that for the athlete and, and saying, you know, what do you think a year down the road, what are you going to reflect back on about this experience? And to say, yeah, but you know, when we think about other people's problems, it's not that bad. And that's all important stuff mm. to kind of see our stressors in the bigger picture. But I don't think we can start with that because by, by starting there and kind of comparing to other people, we then dismiss or minimize the fact that at the moment, this is really stressful for us. And I feel really, or I feel really upset or anxious or scared or hurt. So um, I think it's really important to start with the, the validation and the listening and making sure that athletes feel heard about how stressful this is for them. And then helping to possibly reframe or, you know, reappraise or contextualize and see the bigger picture. But I don't think we should start there. I think we need to start with like the empathy piece and connecting with the athlete. Yeah, I, I totally agree. And I think those, those are excellent points. And so, Dr. Tamman, we've talked quite a bit about what we don't want to happen during the car ride home. But I'd be curious to hear your thoughts on what are maybe some of the best practices for optimizing the car ride home? Like what are some ways that parents can can make this happen? Mm -hmm. Yeah, one of the things that we heard from parents and athletes in one of our studies um, was having some guidelines or, you know, best practices developed within their own family. So they called it, you know, developing rules of the road. So as a family, do we have rules of the road that we want to try to adhere to? So, you know, is there you know, a period of time where we're actually not going to talk about anything during the car at home, we're going to get in the car and turn on music, and we'll debrief later. Because I think there is still an important piece where, you know, we can have these conversations, but maybe it happens, you know, later on after everybody's, you know, gotten home, showered and eaten, right, get the blood sugar back where it needs to be. And then we can have those conversations. And then parents get a chance to cool down a little bit too. So, that could be one example of, you know, the rules of the road, or it could be that, you know, if parents have legitimate concerns about things that coaches said or did, or 
behaviors that they saw from other people in that setting that they're legitimately worried about, then that's kind of like something that needs to be discussed as soon as possible. So I think that these rules can be flexible and it's not like we have to, you know, adhere to them at all times. But I think thinking about guidelines that work for our family can be helpful. Also, I think, you know, reflecting on the types of comments that parents are making, as well as the frequency of you know, positive to negative comments or close questions to more open and reflective questions. Maybe having parents reflect on those kinds of conversational strategies can be helpful in producing a more productive um, car ride home. And um, as athletes gain more maturity and autonomy and independence, having them, you know, recognizing their role as contributors to that conversation is really important too. Um, so reflecting their, their autonomy and reflecting their independence and, and treating their opinions as legitimate as, yeah. as humans. Um, so those are a couple of, I think, key best practices. I, I think also, you know, you can share with your child if you're unsure about what to say. So if a child says like, tell me everything I did wrong, I think it's okay to say, well, I don't really know if I should be the one telling you everything you did wrong because I'm not an athlete myself. I'm not playing the sport at your level. So admitting like, I don't know if I'm actually the right person to do that, but what did the coach say? And, you know, what do you think about that? Again, inviting the athlete to contribute their opinion. Um, and, and also bearing in mind that even if a child says, no, I want to know everything that I did wrong so that I can improve my performance, you know, I think it's still important that we don't take that as, you know, a, a blank slate to just pile on the criticism. I think we still have to be kind about the way that we um, deliver that performance feedback. So those are a few points that I think could be helpful to reflect on for navigating that car ride home. Yeah, thank you so much. And as you're explaining, I, um, I thought of maybe a unique situation. I'd be curious to hear your thoughts. Do any of those suggestions or does it change if the parent is also the coach? Mm -hmm. Yeah, great question. Um, so in our research, we had not included the coach as parent uh, dynamic, but certainly I think parents probably are more mindful of that when they are also the coach of the team. So some uh, parents will say that they, you know, very mindfully put their coach hat off and they leave it at the, at the rink or at the, mm. the field and they put their parent hat on and they uh, maybe have more explicit conversations with their child about that and say, I'm your parent right now versus being, um, you know, in their coaching role. So I, I think it's important though, that parents reflect on that and, and maybe express that or articulate that more explicitly to their athletes, to their children and say, okay, well, here are my thoughts as a coach, or do you want my thoughts as a parent? Like, I think it's important to just kind of say, here's how I'm approaching this when I'm having those conversations. Um, but I will say that in our, in our research, um, when interviewing parents and athletes about their experiences, they did say that the nature of the conversation differed depending on who was in the car. So if we carpool with another athlete, we're not gonna talk about some things that we might have if that athlete was not there. Similarly, if both parents were in the car, athletes said the conversation was different as opposed to just one parent in the car. So mm -hmm. there is certainly a change in the conversational dynamics when different people are in the car. And so I would assume that that would also extend to, um, you know, situations where the parent is the coach versus, you know, situations where they're not the coach. Yeah. Interesting. 
Thank you so much. Well, Dr. Tamden, it's been an absolute pleasure. I'm conscious of your time. Thank you so much for joining today. Uh, would you mind sharing with the listeners perhaps how they could follow you on Twitter or, or get a hold of you if they have any questions? Yeah, thank you. Um, yeah, so you can follow me on Twitter. Um, my Twitter handle is at ka underscore Tamanen. And um, my uh, information can also be found at the University of Toronto website under the Faculty of Kinesiology and Physical Education. So on that uh, faculty profile, you can find my recent research articles and as well as my contact information. Thank you so much, Dr. Tamanen. Thanks. Wow, wow. Another big shout out goes out to Dr. Catherine Tamman for joining me for episode two of Mental Dive, the podcast, the psychology of coaching. What a pleasure. I hope you all learned something today. Honestly, it, you know, I feel like there's so much information out there that is untapped. And that's what I'm trying to do for all you coaches out there. And as well as the parents is I want to give you access to this information this expert knowledge so you can optimize sport. And so once again, if anybody wants to reach out to me, if you have any feedback, you have any questions, please do reach out. As I mentioned earlier, I have my email in the description of the podcast, but also feel free to send me a message or shoot me a follow on Twitter and Instagram at Taylor Staden. That's at T-A-Y-L-O-R-S-T-A-D-E-N. You can also find me on Facebook, Taylor Staden. And also, be sure to tune in next week when I bring on Zoran Stojkovic, mental performance consultant, where we discuss how you can cultivate your team's culture. I'll see you there.